study that was funded by the um, National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine in which we looked at many um, facets of the changes that can take place um, following eight weeks of MBSR training. Um, those measures included neuroimaging, um, measures of the pain response, um, neuroimaging measures of um, empathy, um, attention measures, um, self-report, and um, my, my component of that was um, looking at the role of emotional neural circuitry in regulating the inflammatory response in the body. And to do that, I used um, the topical application of capsaicin cream, which capsaicin is the active ingredient in hot peppers. It causes uh, an axon reflex that um, evokes neurally mediated inflammation, which is responsible for a lot of the um, problems caused by chronic inflammatory diseases. And what we found in that study, among other things, um, this is the um, one difference that Cliff was referring to, so I thought that I should probably mention it, um, is that um, different, differentiated our, our active control group from um, our MBSR participants was um, in response to a psychological stressor, and for that we used the Trier social stress test, for those of you who know what that is, um, the MBSR group showed a smaller response to that capsaicin cream um, than the um, active control group did following the meditation. Their response was no different before. And um, I'm interpret interpreting that finding as um, MBSR was able to act as a buffer for the exacerbating effects of psychological stress on the inflammatory response. How am I doing on time? That's it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>
Uh, actually, my goal was really to figure out how does consciousness uh, come from matter. And the closest I got was really um, quantum coherence was the closest I got. And midlife crisis knocked on my door, and I left physics as a career. And I started finding people more interesting than particles, uh, more challenging, more confusing, more difficult, but interactive. So I switched my career to clinical psychology and um, am now on the next holy grail of neuropsychology of how does the self emerge uh, as an emergent property from what we have up here. So I'm taking a mini project as my dissertation of um, um, measuring mindfulness. Uh, there are seven, eight measures out there. I feel that they're based upon the Western adoption of mindfulness. Uh, Ruth Baer did a great job, took all of the measures and came up with some common elements. Now, if there was an ingredient missing in each of those seven or eight, she would have missed that too. So I went back to the 2600 history and said, let me go by the Eastern definitions of mindfulness, uh, really study the Sati Patana Sutra, the four foundations of mindfulness, and found the missing link that was missing from all eight of the measures. Uh, time is up, but I'm... What I'm, was it? No. <laughs> So, you get one more minute to say what it was. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, in, in, in jest, I called my measure uh, uh, 3D MOM, M O M, three dimensional measure of mindfulness. And the three dimensions are called APE in jest A P E, A for uh, meta awareness, B for being in the present moment, and E for equanimity. And so the last. E had been missing from all eight of the measures. Mm -hmm. Namaste. Thank you. Paula. My name is Paula Segafis. I um, am a grad student at the California School of Professional Psychology, um, recently acquired by Alliance International University. Um, that's maybe how you hear it referred to as. Um, I am a clinical health PhD student, and I am doing my research on biofeedback. Um, I did neurofeedback in the past, but um, I kind of switched to biofeedback due to some experiences. and. Uh, some work that I've done. Um, biofeedback just basically looks at the autonomic nervous system and the uh, interaction between the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system um, and the interplay in between those two factors. Obviously, there's psychological factors, but um, sympathetic nervous system, to kind of a little quick overview on my three minutes, um, the fight or flight or the rest or digest is the parasympathetic nervous system. So. 
through biofeedback, we want to encourage the parasympathetic nervous system to kind of kick in and do that calming activity. Um, sympathetic nervous system is great. Fight or flight, you got to run from that saber-toothed tiger like Wes was talking about. It's all about survival. Um, we don't have saber-toothed tigers anymore. We have cable bills and telephone ringing and emails and everything else. So to calm those, those systems down, um, we use biofeedback. Um, kind of like, I need to calm down now. I'm a terrible public speaker. <laughs> My heart's racing a little bit. Um, You're okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, we do have these systems um, that interact with our uh, physiology and our biology. Um, my interest primarily is with heart rate variability biofeedback. Um, I've seen a lot of good change um, with children and adults. Um, working with gastroenterology problems, um, I worked at a pediatric uh, gastroenterology department um, at Kaiser. Um, so we worked with children who had primarily psychological stress problems, but we used uh, HRV biofeedback to calm those systems down. But through, are we done? Take 30 seconds. Okay. Um, basically, we see people become more mindful. Um, we use mindfulness-based measures. Um, they become more open and more aware and um, even more uh, amiable or open or agreeable. So I want to compare HRV biofeedback um, to insight meditation. So breathing versus non-breathing. Um, concentration, <laughs> paced breathing. Um, been my biggest bugaboo since I've been here is trying not to pace my breathing. So um, thank you very much. I think that breathing is always better than not breathing. <laughs> Let's sit one minute. This is Sarah Bowen. Hi. You all have faces. This is wonderful. <laughs> um, my name is Sarah Bowen. Um, I'm here from University of Washington. I work at the Addictive Behaviors Research Center as a postdoc fellow with Alan Marlat. Um, and I'm here with my colleague, Joel Grill. Um, over the past three or four years, we've been working to uh, integrate mindfulness and meditation for um, relapse prevention for substance use disorders. And most recently, we've been developing a program called Mindfulness-Based Relapse Prevention, which, as you might guess from the name, is uh, based on the structure of MBSR and MBCT. So um, 
kind of the main focus of this treatment is helping people increase their awareness of triggers, both internal and external, and decreasing reactivity to those triggers. We just finished our pilot trial, our efficacy trial, um, working with people who had just finished either intensive inpatient or outpatient treatment. We had 168 participants, um, and we found sort of the, the main outcomes showed that there is a, a significant difference when compared to a control group, a treatment-as-usual group, in their overall substance use over a four-month follow-up period. Uh, also an increase in awareness as measured by the Bayer scale and a decrease in their craving. Uh, one really interesting thing that we just looked at is um, this relation between negative affect, experience of, of difficult emotion and craving, where we have a moderated mediation effect. So the people in the treatment-as-usual group, when they experience negative affect, that would pretty reliably lead to craving and then substance use. And uh, that was a significant um, mediational relationship. And in the uh, mindfulness folks, after they completed this course, that wasn't the case. So they were experiencing as much um, negative affect that they weren't experiencing craving in response to that. And that kind of disentangling of that relationship was accounting for a significant portion of the variance, the decrease in the substance use. Thank you. We can even sit two minutes. My name is Jim Saveland. I work with the U.S. Forest Service, and my uh, title is Program Manager for Human Factors and Risk Management. And what that means is basically I think of myself as a bridge between the, the academic world of research and 
the psychological and social sciences and how we can take some of that information and uh, apply it, especially in the realm of uh, wildland fire management and uh, firefighting. So one of the things I get called out to do is uh, when things go wrong to uh, come out and take a look at, uh, try to understand some of the, the psychological and social dynamics uh, going on and uh, figure out what to do to improve uh, firefighter safety, health, and strength. Um, and a couple of us who do that uh, got to looking at some of these investigations and looking at the attentional dynamics going on and said, well, maybe we need to start training firefighters in mindfulness awareness. And uh, so we started that last year. Um, started kind of a, a um, standalone program, just a few hours of introduction and um, why it might be a good uh, reason and uh, some practical techniques and so forth. This year we're looking at uh, probably trying to integrate it more into their regular physical uh, program and make it more of a total mind-body uh, training program. And so basically the, here just to uh, say we're just starting and I would welcome any uh, comments on design, uh, any partnering with uh, folks who want to help out, uh, make it a, bring in some more robust science uh, and uh, both in the design and the uh, development and the testing, the pre-testing, the post-testing uh, that we're working with and uh, welcome any uh, conversations along those lines. Um, and Occasionally I do have some money for maybe some graduate student work in some arenas and stuff. Thank you very much. We have two minutes to sit.
My name is Michael Warren. I'm a first-year graduate student from Claremont Graduate University and working on my first research project there. Um, one of the themes, I guess background themes of meditation research that I've noticed is the issue of, of, uh, of context and the fact that a lot of the research that's been done has been more focused on um, kind of the, the aspects that are important for Western science, or what Western science has so far recognized as being important. Roger Walsh um, pointed out in, in one paper that we've been more interested in heartbeats per minute than in heart opening, which I think is kind of a, a telling thing. Um, <clears throat> so I'm interested in seeing how having a more philosophical context that reflects the values of meditation as it grew up, so to speak, as it blossomed from the religious traditions, um, may have important consequences for outcomes. And those outcomes, um, I think, should also be um, relevant to the, um, to the outcomes that the spiritual traditions would suggest, such as we've kind of come in contact with here. I wrote down a few of them. Liberation from suffering, happiness, wisdom, um, transcending the self, uh, equanimity, for sure. And so these are um, aspects that I want to, uh, that as I'm approaching this project, I want to um, introduce as kind of a, an independent variable in itself, this philosophical context of, um, of yoga meditation. Um, related to that is the, the idea of within meditative traditions, the idea of spiritual growth has, uh, I guess, been at the forefront. Um, and there was a couple of recent studies um, done in Bowling Green that asked whether spirituality is an important component of meditation practices, and there are pretty um, interesting findings. Uh, cognitive, psychological, um, tolerance of pain, a bunch of factors. and so. Um, interestingly, though, the way that they operationalized spirituality was um, essentially um, affirming the positive qualities of the divine. God is good, God is joy, God is love. And I want to test, in addition to context is that it is an independent variable, additionally testing whether uh, an aspect of, or an attitude of re relationality to the divine is, um, has, uh, has consequences. So instead of just affirming, God is love, um, I love thee, or something that's more relational in nature. And so these are the two things that I uh, hope to be testing. I have a meditation teacher that's a monk kind of lined up and helping me come up with this. Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll go well, and I look forward to all right. I welcome any comments for that. Thank you.
Well, here we are with five minutes, uh, which isn't a lot doing the math. So I want to say, I want to say one thing. Several people uh, let me know about programs that they knew of or training programs that they knew of, but since it wasn't directly their research, I didn't include them. I'd like for the manager to put out three by five cards on that table outside. And if you know of any training programs or anything else that's interesting, please write the information and put it on the bulletin board this afternoon. Of all of the people that spoke this morning, it, hap it often happens when you, for me, when I give a presentation, that when I sit down, I think, ah, I didn't say that thing. So if it came to you, something that you didn't say, or you didn't quite finish your sentence, or I gave you a look that cut you off, and you'd like to do that, uh, we have a few minutes. Who would like, there you go. Just take the, take the microphone. I want to say um, we've been working also uh, in the VA Medical Center with some mindfulness-based programs and also with people uh, living with HIV and AIDS. And also in uh, response to Jonathan's comment earlier today, uh, we've been doing studies in um, jails as well of Vipassana groups that are happening there. So if people have interest in that or, or want to talk to me about that, I'd be happy to. Thank you very much. Anybody else has one thing they Praveen, maybe just stand up and shout it out. Um, you know, during my research, uh, trying to find out the definition and defining the concept of mindfulness, uh, going back to the Vedas, Upanishads, Western civilization, uh, basically, it was a beautiful mystery that kept coming out from the mystiques, the, the yogas, and the meditators, sort of a shortcut to nirvana. nirvana. Thank you very much. Anybody else? One last word. There you go. Francis. My name is Francis Cordero, and I work in Edward Davidson's lab at the Weissman Center. Um, I just began working for Ritchie, and uh, there's a new center for creating a healthy mind, which is involved in bringing uh, meditation to children and teachers and parents and researching the effects of meditation. And um, also looking at some projects about um, uh, looking at forgiveness and that process of meditation and, and love. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Were you going to say something, Cliff? You made a look like you were going to say something. <laughs> well, I, the one thing I had forgotten to say about Richie 
Good. Well, we have anyway a chance should something come to you between now and this afternoon because we'll, uh, we'll have it silent again until 3 o'clock. I hope you enjoy your lunch. After the lunch, walk around. Do some of your packing for tomorrow so that tomorrow morning you can walk around. Uh, just let's keep the, the silence. Uh, if you want to come in here at 2, one of us will sit with you at 2, and then we'll have a walk from 2.30 to 3, and then we'll have whatever we'll have at 3 o'clock. And uh, we'll be able to spend the rest of the afternoon making those connections and talking to all the people that you want to talk with. So I hope you enjoy your lunch very much. <laughs>